0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, um, where every week we gather for nuanced conversation about the scriptures and about what's going on in the world. My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Avenue, and I'm joined today by Pastor Laura Bird and our modern pastoral intern, Carol Petritus. Um, and we are talking about Matthew this morning. Uh, we are looking at uh, one of the the birth stories um, found in Matthew. Specifically, we are looking at um, the character of Joseph and how Joseph is visited by the angels. And one of the things that stuck out to us this week as we were looking through and kind of reading through this scripture is that this story immediately happens after a section of genealogy. It starts in Matthew 1, 18, but the preceding 17 chapters are just the genealogy of Jesus. And um, if we were reading a book today, say Harry Potter or something else, and it started off with the first 17 chapters being just the genealogy of Harry Potter, we probably wouldn't read it. And yet, for the the first century Jews, the people who were reading Matthew, um, Matthew is writing predominantly to a Jewish Gentile audience, and they had kind of reached their point of no return. They've been kicked out of the temple. They're trying to figure out, where do I find myself in this story? Do I have to completely break with what's gone before? Or can I still do and practice some of the things that I did? And in providing this genealogy, which for a lot of us is just a list of names, but for some of us, it's characters we recognize from the Old Testament. All of these names would have been very familiar and would have brought up very familiar stories. And so I say all of that to say this in the midst of the holiday season, all of us have traditions. We all have stories. We all have people or things that we recognize or things that we want to do. And so for, as we dive into Matthew today, what makes Christmas Christmas for you? And why do you think you, you celebrate Christmas personally, right? Not why do we celebrate it corporately, but why do you? What makes Christmas Christmas? How do you, what makes Christmas feel like Christmas? We'll say it that way.
1: Yeah, I think for me, there is a lot to the traditions that we have at Christmas, and I think we can all sort of feel a shift from the time that that Thanksgiving starts and we have our Macy's Christmas Day Parade tradition, and there's some of these secular traditions that we have. Um, But one thing, as we were talking about this this week, that I thought about are the traditions that we have within the church as our church community, Um, specifically one. um, being the family Advent night. Uh, I was away this year studying and my daughter was like, oh, oh, we missed, she's four, we missed the, the lighting of the tree where we all are outside together. And I thought, how meaningful and special that is to her. And it is to me too, that there are these sort of marks that we have throughout the Christmas season that remind us of the birth of Jesus that we are celebrating.
2: Um, I have a different, uh, totally different outlook (laughs) Um, as one who is feeling, uh, still feeling a lot of loss this season. I know a lot of people are Christmas is, is really hard for me, um, and being in a new place, uh, being around new people, um, and so I've, I've really been thinking a lot about, um, those who are struggling during this time, um, and I think it's, it's those same traditions that, uh, when people struggle, cause they're used to having certain traditions with their loved ones who may, may be gone, um. And so how do, you, how do you redeem that? How do you find joy within the loss? Um, and so that's kind of where I am right now is, is trying to reclaim Christmas in many ways uh, on those, um, those kind of points we've had in our mind. And um, it's, it's a lot... I thought it'd be easier <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but, um, but I know... The one thing about being a pastor is if you are struggling yourself, it gives empathy, gives you empathy for the people who are also struggling and, um, during this season. And you can, you can learn from that and, and be there for those people who are struggling because you understand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, my family members have a nasty habit of dying in December. Um, uh, my grandfather passed away 17 years ago on December 11th. Um, and my aunt and uncle passed away. I guess it's 15 years ago now, um, two days before Christmas.
2: Couldn't they have waited till January? You know, or
0: <laughs> it would be nice if things worked that way.
2: That was a very um, dark joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but it's it's interesting um, because for a long time in our house, Christmas died. Mm. Um, it's really hard to celebrate Christmas two days after somebody has passed when you're mm-hmm. trying to plan a funeral. Um, and it's even worse when they had time to do all of their Christmas shopping. Mm. And you've got gifts under a tree from a person that isn't here anymore. Um, and do you open it? Do you not open it? Do you keep it the way it is? Their handwriting's on that package, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so the, uh, I empathize mm-hmm. uh, with the feeling of loss at Christmas. And we really didn't start to redeem any of it until my children were born. Mm. Um, And then we started saying, well, maybe we should, Mm. you know, decorate again. That might be nice, you know, for him to grow up in a house that has Christmas decorations. And maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing to, like, drive down to Deerfield and show him Christmas lights, right? Like, he's only three months old, but, like, he likes shiny things right now. Um, And so we began to build some traditions back Mm -hmm. in that redemptive piece, But it took a long time. That was... A decade Mm -hmm. after all of that began. And so, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, that Isaiah scripture we call often during this time, right? The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Um, and those who lived in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shined. And so for those who have experienced loss, doesn't have to just be around December loss of any kind. Um, this season's a magnifying glass for those emotions. We look around and we don't see those people sitting around the tree. That familiar story or that tradition of them reading some book or um, they're the person that made the Christmas candy, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, those are empty spaces and they either get filled by somebody else in the family or they disappear. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting as we talk about this particular, what makes Christmas Christmas? Um, Because I think what makes Christmas Christmas is different at different seasons in our lives. Um, Right now, what makes Christmas Christmas for me is just, do I have my family together? Mm -hmm. Um, When I was much younger, it was, what's under the tree? And did Santa bring me everything I wanted? Because if Santa didn't, Christmas wasn't Christmas, right? Um, And so it's that, that interesting juxtaposition of as we get older... Um, that perspective shifts as well. Um, there's, a, there's an interesting idea, um, Laura, that you talked about this week that has stuck with me about Christmas is external, whereas Advent is internal. Will you introduce that concept for us this morning?
2: Sure. Um, well, I'm reading this book called um, An Honest Advent. And um, to be honest, I feel like I've always had trouble with Advent not trouble. Um, I've always had a hard time really grasping onto it because it's just one of those things we celebrate every year. We try to put a different spin on it every year. And after a while, especially when you work in the church, you know, it's it gets monotonous. But this book for me has really helped me reclaim the realness of Advent, um, of Jesus coming through messy birth. Um, through a woman's body, um, through all these um, these real things. And like we're talking about the reality of grief and the reality of love. Um, and so we often think um, of all the things we're supposed to do at that time, the, those, those um, points, right? The um, lighting of the advent tree. Um, there's rituals, there's rhythms. We have, uh, in my family, we had a... Um, A ritual of opening one present on Christmas Eve. And let me tell you, for some reason, that was more exciting to me than Christmas Day. I don't know why. It just seemed so secretive and exciting. You got to pick one from home. Oh, you got to pick.
1: Oh, yeah, you got to pick. We were also allowed to open one, but it was pre-selected. And oh, that's not It was always well, fun. Christmas pajamas. So. <laughs> we <laughs> well, we were also cute, allowed to
0: pick one, but I always wanted to pick the smallest one because I didn't want to ruin the big surprises. Aww. Well, well, that's because, smart. Well, that's because smart. some things come in, like, you know, together. So you, like, open something. Right. But then you can't do anything with it till you open the, the other, other three thing. things.
2: And I was like, I'm not about to do this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Well, and so you have these rhythms of Christmas, and and for many, that is Christmas. There's these visible uh, mechanics that we do. We light the Advent candle, we say a certain prayer, we go to Christmas Eve service, but beyond that, there's also a spirituality of Christmas and Advent, where you are making what is invisible, visible, and that's what we're trying to do with all those all those different things, those mechanics, is we're trying to make this invisible God visible in our everyday lives and real and, and mean something um, extremely important uh, and magical to us. But sometimes we can get lost in the mechanics so much that we lose the wonder, or the magic of Christmas. And I think it's um, really paying attention to those invisible Um, things made visible that we can regain the meaning or reclaim the meaning of Christmas
1: Yeah. After you had talked about that, I started to think about like the the visible side. And I started to think about how, you know, during this time of year, we do a lot of scrolling on the phone and we look at our phones and we see what everyone else is doing. And someone has put a bakery into their home and they've made a full on gingerbread uh, world. And you see these things and there's this very, um, visible reminder that we're seeing in the days of social media that, mm-hmm. oh, if you have not done this, then you are not fully participating in Christmas mm-hmm. perhaps, or, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I really get that piece of it that you're talking about with this, this visible world that we live in, but that isn't so much what it's about.
0: Yeah. We have done the Dallas zoo lights, the arboretum lights, ooh and we have been to ice, okay? And I think next year, maybe I just want one Christmas lighty everything. <laughs> um, but it, in the same instance, there's, it's a period of preparation. And so there is something too, as we make the visible invisible, there's some joy found in stringing the lights on the Christmas tree. And in that preparation, there's some joy found in the, the putting of the tree together and the looking forward to, well, who gets to put the angel on the tree this year? Right, um, Hattie was finally old enough to do it. And so uh, she Aww, got to yes. put the angel on the tree this year. And so there's some preparation in there. But I think too, as we talk about making the invisible visible, what must that have been like for Joseph? Mm. We know that Joseph is a faithful man. We know that he's a dedicated man. Um, we know that he's a man of honor and integrity. We see that in the scriptures. But even still, just... Um, you know, you look, look at the gospel of Luke and you have this example of a, of a priestly man in the middle of the temple who is visited by an angel who says, you're going to have a baby. And he goes, we're pretty old actually. <laughs> right? um, and he had trouble when the invisible became visible. Mm-hmm. How much more than should Joseph have had trouble And yet, when the invisible is made visible to him, he has a different response. Carol, will you read our scripture this morning?
1: I will. This is Matthew 1, starting in chapter 18 and going through verse 25. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus.:
0: I think it's a pretty powerful story in the midst of this. Um, it's only in Luke that we get Mary's perspective. Right? This, this is unique to Matthew. Um, and Matthew tells us that Joseph is a righteous man, um, but I can't help thinking that that's really an understatement. Mm. Um, God selected a special man to serve as the human father and model for Jesus, a man who would demonstrate integrity and honor and virtue as the boy Jesus grew into a man. And the events that are described in the text offer, I think, one bit of evidence of the kind of man that Joseph was. Because what a bitter blow it must have been to discover that the young Mary who he was engaged to, who had been promised to him in marriage, was bearing a child, And I think we can imagine the thoughts and the suspicions and all of the things that would have gone through um, our own minds in his situation and how we would have responded. But imagine in 2022, if this happens immediately, right? Joseph is on Facebook going, you're not going to believe what's happened. Right? And, and Mary gets blasted and people start picking it up and everybody starts choosing sides and like, oh, well, Joseph's just pretending this is not his child, right? They're engaged, obviously. There's been some midnight rendezvous or something, right? Um, and everybody starts picking sides and then it starts trending on Twitter, right? And then all the, the mainstream media pick it up, right? Um, but in Joseph's culture, there's a similar response. Mm-hmm. He could have publicly shamed Mary, He could have dragged her before a trial and had a bunch of witnesses and the entire town would have known what had happened. And she would have been publicly disgraced and potentially stoned, right? Um, And so in the midst of his feeling of betrayal, in the midst of his feeling of hurt, the cultural, generally accepted response would have been, I can punish her for this. She's hurt me and I can hurt her. And yet, Joseph's immediate concern was, well, I need to protect Mary. I need to protect Mary from public ridicule and from punishment, and so I'm just going to dismiss her quietly. I'm not going before a trial. I'm not pulling her in front of everybody. I'm going to dismiss her quietly. Even at a moment in his life when he must have been deeply hurt, he was anxious to protect the one he thought had hurt him. And so I think we see a depth of character not often found in his or really any other day in the midst of this scripture um, from this man who's often in the back of our nativity scenes, forgotten,
1: mm-hmm.
0: gazing around at everybody else before them.
1: Yeah, there's, I think there's something to choosing to do the right thing when, when no one is looking. And um, I think it's interesting that he had the opportunity to make that choice first before the angel came. There, there is something... Um, really powerful about that and a good reminder for us in modern day about trying to choose to do the right thing, whether people know or or not.
2: I think it's interesting too. I, I guess I'd never really thought about this, but I usually I think of the Joseph story as an angel appearing and he's like awake and alert, just like it was with Mary. But this wasn't a dream. I mean, he could have woken up and gone, oh, well, that was just a dream. But it shows, I think, his, his deep relationship with God, that he listens to that message instead of just blowing it off. Um, and that's probably why he was chosen.
0: <laughs> well, and I like the reminder too, um, you know, you hold the two scriptures up next to each other and you get the fuller picture. God spoke to Mary in a way that Mary could understand. Mm-hmm. God spoke to Joseph in a way that Joseph could understand and it wasn't the same way, mm. right? um, Because we all hear, I think, and see God in different ways. And I, I, I like that in scripture, we often see God show up in different ways to different people, so. So there is this, um, this conversation to be had, right? Joseph is a righteous man, he's made a choice. And that choice was made really and truly the honorable choice was made long before the dream happened, right? It wasn't like he's, the angel came and said, actually, you know, before you pull her into this opportunity to be really hurt, you need to know that that, that is the son of God. So there's going to be some issues there. Um, what happens instead is God has chosen somebody, called somebody who he knows is going to help raise his son in a powerful way. And in the same way, Joseph prepared his heart long before this happened. The reminder in Advent is we are preparing our hearts in the same way that Joseph did, so that when God comes to us once again at Christmas, our hearts are ready to receive Mm -hmm. the reminder of the Christ child. And we we talked a lot this week about um, a really old movie, right? Um, And we watched it here at the church last night um, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And it struck me that um, this movie was made in 1965, which means that it is now approximately 57 years old. Um, And in the midst of that, as old as that movie is, we are still struggling with the same themes today as when the movie was made 57 years ago. It's where we started our conversation today. Well, there's the materialism and the trappings and you got to do this and you got to do that. And that's all Charlie Brown is struggling with. What's the true, deeper meaning of Christmas? What's the point of all of this anyway? And everybody else around him is happy in the joys and the trappings of Christmas. Lucy's going to be really happy if Santa brings her 10s and 20s in the stocking, right? Um, and then you've got um, all of the other characters who have something they want, but they're happy, whether it's decorating or it's lights or it's... And Charlie Brown is just not happy. All of the things that used to bring him joy at Christmas aren't bringing him joy anymore. The decorations don't bring him joy anymore. The presents don't bring him joy anymore. The singing of the carols don't bring him joy anymore. He's searching for a deeper meaning and he can't find it on his own. And it takes a friend of his, um, which often it does for all of us, To come forward and say, "Well, I I know the true meaning of Christmas," Charlie Brown, and he recites the Christmas story from Luke, right? Um, And it's it's interesting to me that 57 years ago, when this movie was made, they were struggling with the commercialism of Christmas and the trappings of Christmas and trying to find the deeper meaning. And yet, here we are in 2022, just a few days away from Christmas Eve. And we're struggling with the same thing once again, maybe in different ways, but there is this idea of what is the true meaning of Christmas? And we get the reminder in the scripture that the true meaning of Christmas is, yes, found in the birth of Christ. It's found in a God who sent us a savior, who is Christ the Lord. And that reminder that if we too want to experience Christ at Christmas, like Joseph, we have to have our hearts prepared. So what do you do? What do you do to prepare your heart for Christmas? How do you try to find the deeper meaning in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the trappings and the materialistic things? Where do you find your meaning? How do you prepare your own heart?
2: Well, I think it's interesting to think about that, the preparation of our hearts during this because one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about Joseph was that you know, he was preparing his heart, but it also, you know, said he was thinking about divorcing her quietly, right? So there was, we like to think that there was no struggle in the preparation, that, there, that it's just perfect and happy and, you know, that there's no duality there, that it's just light. But just like the Isaiah verse, you know, light and darkness, it's all part of it. And even in the preparation, you know, we may find ourselves struggling to understand the meeting, or to feel how we're supposed to feel, supposed to feel on Christmas, that this preparation is not static, um, that it's 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 a it can be a struggle.
0: Yeah, and the but the preparation too allows Joseph to respond differently, right? Doesn't mean we see the struggle, but his response is different, right? Instead of like twenty twenty two whipping his phone out and saying, "Say that to me again." <laughs> Right on a live stream, um, he responds differently. We did a, a funeral for a member of our church yesterday, um, a man that I respected and and loved. And one of the things that they shared about him and his wife in the midst of that was, at one point, they had a business partner who they found out was stealing from them. Hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, John began to put a, a list of questions together and get ready for lawyers and. They pulled this man in and the very first question that John asked him was, are you struggling? How can Marilyn and I help you? Do you need money, right? Um, what's really going on? How can we help you? And I think that is the kind of preparation of heart, right, that Joseph had. It wasn't a, There's, well, you're going to jail, right? You stole from us. The cops are outside. You might as well confess this is done. It's a, how can I care for you? That was Joseph's response to Mary. Um, and doesn't mean there wasn't a struggle. There's definitely an internal struggle and a feeling of hurt and a feeling of betrayal, but the response is different because the heart was ready. Right? And I think that's the, the juxtaposition there of so many of us, our hearts aren't ready. So our response isn't Christ like.
1: Yeah, I in hearing that, I'm thinking about how part of what you can do to prepare and really celebrate the meaning of the season is having a heart that is ready and willing to, to do the right thing. Like we said, like Joseph did when no one was looking. Cause we, we think about, we had talked about earlier this week, what do you bring to, to Jesus? It's not necessarily what we get under the tree, but what can we offer? And I think that's part of the offering that we can bring is this preparation of heart to be ready to act in this world in a loving way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, final thoughts.
2: Um, I'll just piggyback on that girl. I, um, you know, one of the things I've been asking myself is, you know, what makes me feel a sense of wonder or meaning um, at this time. And I think it's a very Christ-like action to instead of, especially in sorrow, to in- instead of go inward and feel sad for oneself, look outward. And give. So you're moving from trying to force some sort of feeling of joy to giving joy to others, and in that you will feel joy. And I just think that's um, it's so often overlooked. Um, and i I think for me that is something I need to really um, grab onto.
1: Yeah, I um, have been reading through Kate Bowler's um, Advent study this year. And I, there was a line that I really liked when talking about what Christmas really means. And and she writes, God shows up and invites us into something more peace in a world of uncertainty, joy that breaks forth, love that prepares the way and hope that waits. So I just really, I really love that when we're thinking about this and what we are really looking for in the season.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, 57 years, we're still asking the same questions. I think my hope for all of us as we move towards Christmas once again is that we discover this deeper, truer meaning of Christmas. Like Charlie Brown, we wonder and we wait, maybe hope, that Christmas is more than just a date on a calendar. And surely Christmas is more than a vague annual nod in the direction of Bethlehem. Surely Christmas is more than poinsettias or presents and parades and pageants and zoo lights, as nice as they are. Um, What puts the meaning of Christmas deep into our souls? What writes the Christmas spirit indelibly upon our hearts once again? And of course, the essence of Christmas is love. God's incredible love for us expressed when he sent his only son into the world to save us. And that's really the answer to our question. It's the same one that Linus gives to Charlie Brown. Whenever and wherever we receive God's love and whenever we pass it on to others, we will experience Christmas once again. And so may we write Christmas upon our hearts in a new way this year. And may we allow ourselves the space to grieve, the space to prepare and the space to step away when we need to, so that when we come once again to the manger, we can experience the Christ child in a new way. Amen.